right. Yeah. I, well, oh, I thought I was going to do it from back here. Bummer. <laughs> yeah, you going to sit back there and do sound for me? No. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Well, I hope everybody got a nap for me this afternoon. Because I can tell you I ate enough for everybody over this week. It's one of those things where you uh, have Thanksgiving coming. You know it's Thursday, so you're like, well, I need to start that diet, but I'm not going to start it today, so I'll wait until Monday to start it. So you gorge yourself anticipating not being able to eat basically anything, and uh, then you pay for it the rest of that week, and you're just so stuffed to the gills. But I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving, yeah. despite being maybe overeating or everything. Hopefully everybody was good. All right, tonight we're going to look at seven. Don't, don't faint. It's okay, seven. They'll go quick. Seven. Well, I say quick. I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I have two that I can hurry through if I need to. Um, but seven divine calls to the Christian. Uh, we're going to be running all over the place, so go ahead and turn your Bibles to Romans 8, 28. And if you know the Romans road, you know where we're starting. There's, there's many calls in the Bible that specifically that God calls us to do, to be, um, to act, to, to, to give others. Uh, but there's seven that I, I found that are specific to the Christian walk. Uh, seven really highlighted uh, uh, I guess the main seven that I would say, that, that a lot of other ones stem from, a lot of them uh, come up behind, but these are the seven that I found uh, really start with everything. And, and obviously the first one is the call to salvation. Uh, you, you can't listen or hear anything the master says unless you're a child of God. Uh, and the Bible clearly says that uh, in John, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. If you're not his sheep, you're not going to hear him. So obviously, the rest of these calls, you don't hear at all if you're not saved. So the first one is, is a salvation calling. It's a foundation to the rest. You're there, Romans 8:28, And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, might be may, be, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, he, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Realize, if you're saved, you were called to be saved. It wasn't by accident, it wasn't by chance that you heard the gospel. God had a specific time and place, and maybe multiple times and places, that he gave you the opportunity to hear the gospel. That, that was something that he foreknew that was going to happen. That you, Your salvation isn't just by happenstance. Your salvation didn't happen just because, uh, just an accident happened. God knew exactly where you were going to be and knew exactly what was going to have the opportunity for you to have the choice for salvation. 
And, and if we realize that, the importance that God chose you, that, that God chose every single person, obviously, we don't believe that God only chooses some and doesn't choose others. But if you're saved, realize that God chose you to be a son, to be a daughter. Salvation is, is amongst everything else, is, I mean, yes, you get heaven. Uh, you, you have forgiveness of sins. But the, the song says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I want us to take it a step further and, and say, when he was on the cross, he still knew what I was going to do. Knew all the sins that I was going to make and, and sin. And not only did he die for me, but further than that, he chose still to create me. That, that should mean something. God could have said, man, look at the list, he, the, the, the sorrow, the hurt that he's going to do towards me. I'm, I, it's not worth creating. But he still created you and me for the purpose of being able to have the opportunity to be saved. We'll get going, but let's pray and we'll get into uh, the rest of the calls. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for uh, this evening, for being able to be in your house. Lord, I, I thank you for your word and what it means to each and every one of us. And I pray that we, uh, through these words, Lord, I, they're just things that I wrote down. But, uh, Lord, I, I pray that uh, I, I know that words mean nothing if it's not backed with your Holy Spirit. So I pray that you uh, fill me. I pray that you, you give me the words to say and, and keep back the things that I shouldn't say. Uh, Lord, that you be glorified through everything, that we be able to uh, do exactly and answer the calls the correct way uh, that you want us to be uh, for our life as Christians. Lord, I pray that you be honored and glorified through everything tonight. In your name I ask, amen. So the second one, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. The second call uh, is a call to sanctification. See, once you're saved, the uh, Bible says you're a new creature. Behold, all things are become new. Meaning you're, you're supposed to walk different. You're supposed to talk different. You're supposed to behave differently. You were saved to be different. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. I was going to do this message, but I couldn't think of, I couldn't fledge it out enough. But what's the will of God? Well, it's real easy. Uh, it, it's, it's honestly one of those things where people are, you know, they bang their head and, well, I can't figure out what the word of will is for my life. There's a lot of verses, and, and I can tell you because I typed will of God, just that phrase, many, many verses come up. And no, does it mean the will of God is to marry this person? No, it doesn't say that, but here's one. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Hey, first one. How about we, we follow the ones that we know is his will, and then God will show us the other ones that we're supposed to take. That was free. Happy birthday. For you're there, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. You were called to be sanctified. God didn't die on the cross to save your soul for you just to continue in sin. The, uh, I think as Paul says, should, oh, I don't forget, I don't remember the exact words. Shall we continue in sin? God forbid. We're, we don't get a, you know, James Bond, a license to kill. If you're saved, you don't have a license to sin. That's not the point of salvation. It's, it's to be set apart. It's to be sanctified, to be holy. 1 Peter 2.9 says, being, it talks about being a peculiar people. We're not supposed to be the same as the world. The world should be able to see us to be different. And when I say different, I don't, pastor says we're not supposed to be the weird people. Uh, there's an, you look at the world, there's a lot of different people in the world. That doesn't mean they're sanctified. That doesn't mean they're set apart or holy. The point of sanctification is to be holy. Think think of a royal family. You're born into a royal family. You're a prince or a, a, a princess. You are to act a certain way. You're supposed to talk a certain way. The the girls that are brought up in over in England, they, they don't learn how to garden. Why? Because they're not supposed to be learning something that they're not going to be doing. Just like the royal family breeds and brings them up to act and speak and do things differently according to that family. Why? It's to bring honor and glory to that family name. Just like us as Christians, we were a born adopted into a royal family. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be set apart. And it's supposed to bring honor and glory to his name. Our new father, our new family name should mean more than our old family name. When when you realize what you were saved from, whether it was later in life, what you had done, or what you weren't going to do because you got saved, because you got saved early, what you were saved from, you realize that new last name, you'd rather have that new last name than that old last name. And and you should set apart yourself and sanctify yourself to bring honor and glory to that name, to Jesus Christ. The third call, the one that a lot of people don't like is the call to service. Uh, when, when you were saved, and, and you even go as far as being sanctified, trying to live your life holy, trying to do what you're supposed to do, trying to, to be what you're supposed to be, you can't do anything but serve at that point. Think, think of this. Think of being uh, a part of that royal family going through all the classes of how to act proper, but never going to any of those activities. Okay, now I I learned, okay, like they teach you uh, in school, well, they did, uh, how to set the table. You know, this is, the plate goes here, the salad plate goes here, the knife goes here, the salad fork, the, the main course fork, You have a spoon here, and it's supposed to be set a specific way for proper etiquette. 
If you never use it, what was the point of learning it? <laughs> don't, don't think of this. But in school, how many of us went through school going, why do we talked about this this afternoon? Why do I need to know how to do proofs in math? When will I ever decide two plus two? Okay, well, how? Okay, two plus two is four, but why is two plus two four? And starts writing out a four page paper of why two plus two is four. You don't need it. Same reason with sanctification for service. If you're to be sanctified, why are you being sanctified if you're not going to do something with that? sanctification. The Bible says being a fit, a, a vessel fit for use. The Sunday Express in London said, most people wish to serve God, but in an advisory capacity only. John 15, 16 says, ye, are not cho ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. First Corinthians 1.26 says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We were made and created to serve. We were, we're, we were saved to do something. Pastor says all the time, and we always hear it, if all you were do, if all the purpose of salvation was to get saved and that was it, then why are you still here? Right. You have a job to do once you're saved. Laziness. It's a title probably nobody wants to have. Somebody wants to have the, the strongest man. You don't see the world record for the laziest man. But uh, that may be true, but there is one man that is trying, not trying on purpose, but Paul Routon from England has, has become uh, coined the laziest man. And here's why. In December 2009, Routon was reported to the authorities by a cyclist in his neighborhood for walking his dog by driving his car slowly with his hand out the window holding the leash. Railton admitted that this was an unusual method of exercising his dog, that it was a silly thing to do and that there was an element of laziness, and pled guilty to a charge of not being in proper control of a vehicle. He was fined 66 pounds in an order to not drive for six months. As funny as that is, the sad thing is a lot of Christians serve that way today. We want to say we're serving. So we say, okay, I'm going to tithe, and I'm going to give to missions. Well, we'll see you on Saturday. Mm, no, I, I gave to missions. I'm going to sit in my car and pretend I'm walking my dog. I'm going to give to missions, but not actually do anything. They, they, they like to pretend to say they're serving, but they're not really serving. They're not actively doing anything. Uh, what, what is the obstacle that stops you from serving? What is the obstacle to stop you from giving the gospel to somebody? Th think of the men that brought the lame man to Jesus. A lot of obstacles. 
got to carry the man all the way there. Hopefully he was really skinny. Then you've got a huge crowd and you can't even get to Jesus. Oh, let's go on the roof. Maybe they got a sunroof. Oh, no sunroof. Now what are we going to do? Oh, okay. Who was the first person to go, let's, di- let's destroy this and let's, let's start tearing up the roof and let them down that way? At what point in time would you say, ah, oh well, we tried. Would you have gone all the way to destroying, you don't even know whose house it is. Or what even is going to be the repercussions from destroying this guy's roof? But these four men said, it doesn't matter. I need to get my friend to Jesus. How far are you willing to go? The other thing is a lot of people think that once they get to a certain age, they can retire from service. You know, I I don't need to, I can't go door knocking and that's fine. Not, a lot, not, not everybody can go door knocking physically. But there's a lot of other ways you can serve. Think, we have a lot of examples in the Bible of service, of disciples. When did they stop serving? Their head was chopped off. They were crucified. They were thrown into prison. They were burned at the stake. Think of the, the most, most important person, Acts 1.1. 1, 1. says, the former, the former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And verse 2, when? When did he stop doing those things? Until the day in which he was taken up. Christ served until there was literally no other option for him. When he was taken up to glory, he couldn't do it anymore. Just like when Peter or Paul, when they were martyred, obviously, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I can't serve here anymore. That's when our service is retired. We we get the retirement pink slip or retirement paper when we enter heaven. If you can't door knock, pray. They're, they're, the story, and I don't remember if it was, um, well, it would help if I remember the story. But uh, the, it was, it was a very good one. I know everything about it other than who it was. Spurgeon. They talked about how did you grow, I think it was Spurgeon or maybe it was Moody, but how did you grow your, your church and how is it so growing and blowing out the seams. We're building onto this. We're expanding this and so many people getting saved. And he said, I'll show you. It has nothing to do with this person or behind this pulpit. And he took them down to the basement where there were men kneeling during the service praying the entire time. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is how you get a hold of God. And if you can't go door knocking, pray. You know we're, we're going door knocking Saturdays at, at 10 o'clock, 10.30. Pray. If you can't be here, pray that God will open the doors. That's service. That's being able to do something, even though you're not able to be here. Don't, don't let physical stuff stop you from serving. 
to, to work, we have to be sanctified. Like I said, you have to be a vessel fit for the master's use. Think of, think of a tool or a car. You really you want to, I love BMW, so I, I, have, I have a blank check to be able to build my own BMW, anything I want. And I go on there and I figure out, okay, I want this. I want it to be a manual. I want all the gizmos and gadgets in it because they'll all break as soon as I get it. But I want it to be specialized and built exactly like I want it. And if I get it off out of the parking lot and drive it home and I push the lock button and I go inside and, man, that's a nice car. But I never drive it. What was the point? You buy a nice fancy tool. Pastor gets a new uh, a table saw. If he has, pushes it in his shop, never turns it on. What's the point of the tool? We as Christians are tools for Christ. Amen. If, if we're made and, and, and molded to be exactly what God wants us to be, and then we just sit on the pew, what was the point of that tool? We're to serve. We're supposed to do something for him. We were made in the image of God, and God didn't just sit and do nothing. He served when he was here. Call number four, separation. We'll stay with the car idea. Okay, you got one specifically made, and you, I'm driving it every day. You drive it back and forth to work, but you never change the oil. You never do any maintenance to it. Pretty soon, uh, things wear out. Starts to leak. Uh, the, the filter gets clogged. Maybe the battery dies. The tires go dead. You have to maintain the car to keep it running. Same way with our call to separation. Uh, turn to 2 Corinthians 6, 14. When you're saved and sanctified, you're, you're set apart. You're trying to be holy for the service of God. You're, you're, trying, you're not trying to be holy for, look at me, I'm, I'm fancy, got a three-piece suit, and I'm all perfect. No, it, the point of being sanctified is to be used and to be uh, uh, able to go out into the world and knock on doors and be a, a light in this world of darkness, but we're going to get dirty. That's why Wednesday nights, I, I think Brian was the one that said it last time was, Wednesday night, yeah, it was Thursday when we were, or Tuesday when we were talking about what he's thankful for. He said he's thankful for Wednesday night because it's a time to come away from the world after being in the muck and crawling through the mud to get cleaned up and, and be recharged for the rest of the week. Separation is that way. You're there, 2 Corinthians 6.14. Be ye not equally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? <clears throat> or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, 
and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We're supposed to be separate. We're not supposed to dress like the world, talk like the world, and be like the world. We're supposed to be, like we said, with being uh, sanctified, we're supposed to be different. And part of that sanctification is just separating yourself. Think, think of Lot. You hear a lot of times people say, well, I, I go to the bar because I'm good. that's where the sinners are. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. You don't go into places where you shouldn't be going to try to win them. Right. Lot went into Sodom. Think of this. F.B. Meyer says, the place from which we can extend, exert the strongest influence for good is not from within, but from without. Lot lost all influence of his life in Sodom. But Abraham, from the heights of Mamre, was able to exert a mighty influence on its history. Think of that. We're, I'm not saying that Lot went to Sodom because he wanted to see people saved, but I can tell you a lot of Christians think that way. I'm going to go here because there's a lot of sinful people. And the sad thing is, is when you go talk to them a month, maybe a year later, they're no different than who they're hanging around with. But yet Abraham was able to hold God's hand off just long enough to save Lot and his family. Who was more influential on Sodom? And it, to, to be totally honest, Abraham, when he was praying, he wasn't praying just for Lot. He was praying for anyone that was righteous. It wasn't just Lot. In fact, he, he wasn't even 100% sure if Lot fell amongst those people. But he prayed for the righteous and had a lot more impact than Lot ever did when he was living in there. Fifth, call. And we'll go quick on these next two. A sonship. Turn to 1 John 3, 1. Sonship. When you got saved, you were adopted as sons and daughters into the royal family of Christ. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. You're a son of God. Think of what all that entails. You have access to the Father, who's your Father. Just like you could go and talk to your dad. You want wisdom and stuff from your Father? You have that access to the one that is the wisest and knows it all. You want to have things that you could never imagine. The, the, we talk about this building. I can go talk to my father about a new building. It's not going to help. But I can talk to my heavenly father who owns it all. Because I'm a son. Amen. And the Bible talks about... about you give good gifts to your own children, how much more is your heavenly Father going to do for you? You are a son, and that's a big upgrade. I'll put it that way. That's a big upgrade. 
from what we used to be. Six is the call to subjection. Romans 13, 4 says, For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. We don't really think a lot about being under subject to people. You, you just were born into it. Uh, your parents, when you're a kid, uh, you're subject to them. Take 20 years ago, nobody ever questioned that. Uh, you go to school, the teacher, you are subject to your... So all throughout our life, after we go through school, we have a boss. We have the government. We have the police. We, have, we, we always have somebody to be subject under. But this subjection is not just for our normal day-to-day -day life. It's, it's to the pastor. It's to Christ. It's to his word. And we can easily just shove off, you know, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to be subject. You know, I'll obey the government unless it goes against what the Bible says, and I'll just pay my taxes, and I'll, I'll come to church, you know. So a lot of Christians don't really think about subjection. But that's a call that Christ specifically gives us as Christians to be subject to him. And we have to, as, uh, as much as we don't think about being subject to our boss and to everything else we are, to be subject to this book, we got to put a lot more effort into that. We got to know it. If we're supposed to be subject to it, we got to know it. And then we have to just agree with it. Like the song says, if you read something here that you don't think is right, something's not wrong with this, it's with you. But you got to get to that point where you're like, okay, I'll, I'll be subject to change me to this Amen. and not change this to me like the world does. Last one. Told you. Get you out of here. Call the suffering. And I think this is the one, exactly, I think this is the one that's the hardest for everybody. Call the salvation. Yeah, we want to be saved. Yay, heaven. Okay. Call the sanctification. A little harder, but people will try to do that. They, they may never succeed, but they'll try. Call the service. Like I said, a lot of people like to serve by just putting money in the offering plate, and they call that service. Call the separation. Well, I just won't drink, I won't smoke, I won't go to movies, I won't do this. So they, okay, I, that's, that's not difficult. I didn't really have time to do those things anyways, and I don't have the money to do it. Sonship, well, I get that without having to do anything, just getting saved. I, I get that. Subjection. Like I said, people just assume they do that anyways. But suffering, I think that's the biggest one that people have a problem with. And that's where, as we say, the rubber meets the road. God calls you to go to a mission field. Ooh, okay, hold on, time out. When I said I'd do anything, Lord, uh, I wasn't meaning going to Haiti. I was meaning going to Fiji. Yeah. 
just the cross. Uh, just, I think your, your atlas was off just a little bit. Let, let's pray again and see if we can redirect where we were supposed to go. Instead of going to a third world country, I'd like to go to one that has all the stuff. There's suffering involved. But the, the funny and sad thing is the Bible's full with just warning you, saying, hey, by the way, the Christian walk is a lot of suffering. I'm just going to run through these. John 16, These things have I spoken unto you, that ye might have peace in the world, ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Acts 14, Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Philippians 1, For unto you, it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. 1 Thessalonians 3.3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. 1 Peter 2.21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that ye should follow in his steps. There was no surprise. Hey, I know you got saved, and I know you thought everything was good, but oh, by the way, it's really not going to be that fun. Now, the Christian life can be a lot of fun but we also live in the world and have this flesh, so we have to realize that we're going to have tribulation and this world's going to fight us. But is that going to stop you or hinder you from growing, from, from serving, from doing what the Lord has for you? Sadly, a lot of new Christians think that once they get saved, everything is all happy and, 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 and angels floating and I get to sit on a cloud and... Everything's great, and uh, name it and claim it. But a verse we, we like to quote, I don't know that a lot of them read. Matthew 11:30. Turn there. Matthew 11, verse 30. Very short verse. It says, "For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." Sounds like we should have an easy life. Well, wait, time out. For my yoke. Oh, wait, I still got to wear a yoke. And my burden. Oh, I still have a burden. Yes, is it, is it, is it easy and is lighter than what it could be without Christ? Oh, yeah. And it's a different yoke and a different burden. Make no mistake, we still have a yoke and we still have a burden. God didn't take away your old yoke and your old burden and just throw it away and give you nothing in return because then you just run around doing whatever. You have a new yoke and we have a new burden, but we do it in his power. So seven callings that Christ gives us, God gives us, salvation, are you saved? Sanctification. Are you living to please Him, to, to be holy, to be able to be used? Are you, are you 
being used. Are you call, the call for service, for sonship, for subjection, and for suffering, for separation? Where are you falling short? Because I can guarantee you we fall short in one of them or in multiples of them. But I can also guarantee you God didn't change his callings. God didn't change just because we're in 2021 that we're not supposed to be holy and trying to live correctly. He didn't change that we're not supposed to be separate anymore, that we can just live with the world and be of the world. We're still supposed to be the same calls that he made back 2,000 years ago. We're still the same calls that we have today. The question is, none of them are too much for us. None of them are stuff that we can't do. Can't do on our own. But with his power and his ability, we can do all these callings and answer them all. But where's your limit? How much is too much? Where's your, you know, the, the funny phrase of everybody has a price. Well, what's your price that says, God, that's just too much. I can't do that. That's out of my comfort zone. Or I I know you're giving me this burden to to give this to the church, but that's just a lot of money, Lord. I, I just, how am I supposed to do anything? Or go talk to this person. Lord, I don't even know who this person is. How am I supposed to go up and, if anything, not just, Ask them how the weather is, but say, hey, if you were going to die today, where would you spend eternity? Oh, well, we went from uh, it's sunny outside to eternity. Okay. Where's your, where's your limit? Where's your end? Jesus went and told, told Peter to cast off into the deep when he, when he calls him. And Peter says, okay, and he casts off into the deep. Could Jesus have just have said, put your net here? Yeah. He could have just said, put, put your nets in the water that you're at now, shallow water, and he could have made the fish come. But he wanted to see if he was going to obey and go out there. Because it wasn't like going out into the deep is not going, okay, I'm there. No, we got to go and go. All right, how, well, how far is the deep? That's for us to decide. Peter found where he believed the deep was and cast, and God made a miracle. How far is your deep? How far are you willing to go in these callings? Well, I'll give up drinking, I'll give up smoking, but man, movies, I can't give those up. I mean, I went to school to produce movies. I got to know what's going on with the movies. What are you holding on to that you can't answer the calls? Because you will answer them. Yes or no? We'll pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for again, for your word, for making it clear how our lives are supposed to be lived for you. Lord, and the fact that we have such petty sins Uh, Lord, things that uh, to us uh, seems like we can't give up. 
And yet, you gave your son to die for our sins. Why, why do we think that our petty little sins means more than what you gave? How does a sin that we can't give up more important than the life of your son? I pray that we, we come to realization, the, the importance, the, uh, the magnitude of what salvation really means, uh, Lord, and change our lives to, to come alongside you and to, to live our life to be able to be used by you and then do something for you. Lord, I pray that you uh, change us. The uh, song says, I'm so tired of being stirred but not being changed. Lord, I pray that you help us to change. When we leave here, we, we go into our mission field. God, I pray that you burden our hearts. Open our eyes to see the souls that you see. I pray that you give us a good rest of the night. In your name I ask. Amen. Amen. Please, go ahead and your eyes closed. I want you to think about something. God never gives us a command that he does not also give us the power and the ability to follow through with that command or to obey that command. He never commands us to do something that there's no way that we can do it, in other words. And so if he's commanded us, he's commanded us to be holy, ah, that's just that's asking too much, I can't do that. Now, he's not going to command you to do it if there's no way for you to do it. It's just a matter of being willing to give up the things that we think we cannot give up in order to do it. There's a way. We're just not willing to pay the price to get to that point. That's the difference. Talked about a lot of different topics and a lot of different subjects, really. And are we surrendered in each one of those things? Because each one of them is a command. Each one of them is a command. If the Lord's spoken to your heart tonight as the piano plays, the invitation is open. You can come.